Okay. Someone just needs to remind me from time to time that we are recording, and uh, I just, you know, uh, that that makes sure I'm not saying anything I ought to say, and you all will let me know that, I'm sure. So, okay. Uh, this is a um, series on end times study. I believe it's, uh, don't quote me on this, it's the third or fourth topic that we've talked about. Uh, topic tonight is Armageddon, and as I'm kind of getting set up here, um, give me some some feedback here. What are some things that you've heard about Armageddon? Right or wrong, just what have you heard, you know, um, what are some thoughts? Yeah, a war of all wars. What else? Anyone? Yeah, there, the reports is that the battle will be so fierce, uh, so much bloodshed that it will reach the bridles of the horses. So that, that's been a report as well. Anyone else? You heard anything, anything like that? The final war. Yeah. Okay. Well, again, um, <clears throat> tonight is uh, my perspective or the Church of God's perspective or the all-millennialist perspective on this topic. Um, so again, you would need to go back and do your own study research, but this is, this is where uh, we, we take this. Um, Armageddon, it's been defined, as you've already said, but as a prophesied event and location of a gathering of armies for a battle during the end times. The term is also used in a generic sense to refer to any end of the world scenario. You've heard people just use that term as like a generic term uh, for catastrophic events in the world. Um, Just to go along uh, the timeline of the premillennialist timeline, again, we don't adhere to that, but what's the first thing, what's the next thing that's going to happen in prophetic uh, um, events? Rapture? Okay. So what will occur after the rapture? seven-year tribulation, at which time the rise of the Antichrist will take place during those seven years. At the end of the seven-year tribulation will be the battle of Armageddon, okay, supposedly the battle of Armageddon. The next great event uh, to occur, um, when Jesus returns at the end of the seven years, When Jesus returns and he will wage war against the Antichrist and his forces. This battle was referred to as the war to end all wars, the war of the ages, a battle of Satan's forces versus God's army. And it has been described as a time of immense carnage, death, and destruction. Um, The word Armageddon is the Greek word used to translate the Hebrew word Megiddo. Many of you have heard that word Megiddo, okay? Uh, so Megiddo is in the Old Testament. That's the Hebrew word. Uh, but translating that to Greek is the word Armageddon. That's where we get that, okay? Uh, Megiddo is a uh, town. I think I can, yeah. Um, that actually is a picture of Megiddo today. Uh, Megiddo is a town um, 
that still exists today. It's a town approximately 25 miles. That's a picture of the old Megiddo, okay? But there is a town in the area um, that still exists, Megiddo. And it's located west-southwest of the southern tip of the Sea of Galilee, so in the area of Palestine. Um, Actually, Megiddo sits on top of a hill. Uh, It's called a mount, um, really not a mount, um, they also call it a tell, T-E-L. Uh, a tell is where um, one civilization comes, sets up camp, and then after several years, they're destroyed, and another civilization comes and builds over top of them, and there just gets to be a mound that just um, um, is erected over the years. And so that's what the old town of Megiddo is, okay? Um, this is where many believe, um, actually, this valley right there you might be able to see that that's the valley of Megiddo or the valley of Armageddon and it is an expanse area um, of land and that's where many believe this final battle will take place okay all right Um, let's talk about symbolism here just for a little bit the word Armageddon or Megiddo in this instance well Armageddon the word Armageddon is only referred to once, and it's in Revelation 16, 16. All right, so um, we'll go there. If you want to go there, Revelation 16, 16. Okay. So go down this line of thought for me. If we have debunked the rapture theory, and if we have debunked the seven-year tribulation theory, and if we've debunked the theory of the Antichrist as being one man that will rise up at the end of time, where does that put today's definition of Armageddon? Kind of loses everything, doesn't it? Yeah, it just kind of pulls the rug out from underneath of it, okay? So um, just keep that in mind as well. Um, And keep in mind about the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is a book of what? Symbols. It is a book of symbols. We cannot take anything in Revelation literally. Okay? So because we've disproved uh, the rapture, the seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist, we need to look for the symbolic meaning of Revelation 16, 16, okay? Um, Now, as I said, the actual physical site, the Valley of Armageddon, the Valley of Megiddo, it has been the site of several of of Israel's greatest victories. Um, Barack, not not Barack, nor Barack Obama, but Barack or Barack, um, conquered the Canaanites in Judges 4 through 5. That was a huge victory for Israel. It happened in the Valley of Megiddo. Also of note are two huge disasters that took place. It's also where King Saul, where his life ended as well. Right before David took, took reign, King Saul died, um, I believe, against the Philistines in this valley. In 2 Kings 23:29, it was also the place of the death of King Joash. Okay, so this site has been the site of both great victories and, de- and defeats. So Megiddo, and the Greek translation Armageddon, that that means a lot to the nation of Israel. 
Okay? All right. Now, let's talk for just a few seconds about um, the book of Revelation. Okay, before we get into this passage. Book of Revelation was written by John, the Apostle John. And at this time, where is John located at? The Isle of Patmos. John, like the other disciples, um, was a strong, unyielding voice in the Roman Empire, the Roman world, for Jesus Christ. But unlike the other disciples who were martyred for their faith, the Roman authorities, for whatever reason, and I think we believe because God had a hand in this, uh, decided to uh, put him on this deserted island, the island of Patmos, to, sp- uh, to spend out the rest of his days. Um, the Isle of Patmos is a small, desolate island in the Aegean Sea. Okay. Now, um, Revelations, you've often heard this. Um, I think uh, Gaither Vocal Band sings the songs, John the Revelator. But that's really not accurate. Okay. If you go to Revelation 1.1, go to Revelation 1.1 for me. I used to sing that song, but no. Okay. What's the very first line tell us that's a revelation of? Yeah. Okay, so John or Revelation 1.1 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. Okay, so we know the revelation is not the revelation of John, but of Jesus Christ. So the book of Revelation is a set of visions. It's a set of revelations given to John by Jesus Christ. And what's interesting, if you go to Revelation 1 verse 19, Oh, I'm kind of behind the times here. All right. Revelation 1.19 says this. Tells, uh, it's in red letter, and Jesus is telling John, Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. Why is that significant? Well, there are many people who feel the book of Revelation, number one, is to be taken literally. That's where they get into trouble there. And also, it's just futuristic events. But if you look at what Jesus just told John, he said, write the things which you have seen. Okay? Uh, We believe these are things that have already happened. Okay? And then he says, and write the things which are. These are the things that were taking place in that day and time in which John lived. Okay? A time of the Roman Empire, the first century A.D. And then he said, and write of the things which will take place after this. Okay? Things yet to occur, future events. So everything in Revelations is not some futuristic. It's things that had taken place. It's things that were taking place and things that would take place. Um, Actually, it's reported that um, Jesus had John write in a veiled or um, like a secret code or these symbols. So the Romans who shipped his letter back to the mainland church would not destroy his letters. You know that uh, anything that John wanted sent to his family or his friends to the mainland, the Romans were going to confiscate it. They were going to look at what this letter is in case uh, he was trying to uh, orchestrate some kind of escape from the Isle of Patmos. The soldiers wanted to know what all he was writing. So there are some believe that Jesus specifically showed him this and availed a secret code, these symbols, in order to make it over to the mainland. I don't know if you ever heard that, but that's an interesting thought there. 
Um, and the use of poetry, the use of symbols is seen all throughout the Bible, okay? So it's no surprise that the book of Revelation is a book of symbols. The question is, what do the symbols mean? So here we go. Let me get over to Romans, or excuse me, Revelation 16. Um, I'm not going to read all the verses there, but it's talking about a number of bowls, okay? Uh, if you read through this, these bowls are judgments from God, uh, forms of judgment God has placed on the earth, okay? We're not going to dive into each one, but let's start with verse 12. And I'm going to try and not go too deep, but enough to give you an understanding of how we feel this is interpreted. Revelation 16:12 through 16. It says, Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons, performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And arresting in red letters, Jesus said, Behold, I am coming as a thief. That kind of resembles something else that we read, doesn't it? Um, Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. In verse 16, here it is. And they gather them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. That's the only place the word Armageddon is mentioned. And it's amazing how they um, have created this war to end all wars, blood up to the bridal Carol, out of one verse right there. Kind of crazy. Um, it refers to unclean spirits. Now, notice in verse 13, it says, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs. You notice it doesn't say, I saw three unclean frogs. No. They're spirits like frogs. Okay, so basically what that is telling us is that um, it's talking about the spirit and the mannerism and the influence behind uh, these characters that we're going to talk about, okay? So the spirits, like frogs, symbolizes the nature, the mannerisms, and the character of these three spirits, okay? I'm really behind here. I meant to tell you that right there, okay? All right. Um, it talks about then, then it says, coming out of the mouth of the dragon. Um. Anybody want to take a stab at what you think the dragon is? Okay, well, there are three things that should be listed, Lloyd. is the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, right? Ah. How many of you grew up with Richard Bradley, Stephanie and Chuck? Yeah, I know what's going through your mind right now, so don't jump ahead of me, okay? We believe, okay, we believe... That the dragon is talking about pagan Rome. Okay, so let's just talk a little bit about that. Pagan Rome. Uh, pagan Rome uh, really began around uh, 27 BC and went to the 3rd century AD. Okay, now keep in mind this is the Roman Empire. Okay, and this is before Jesus Christ even came on the scene. Um, so, does anybody know anything about pagan Rome and just, you know, 
What did they worship? Gods and idols and goddesses and and uh, and they were entrenched into paganism. Okay, so um, it was just an influx of of pagan and idolatry and uh, pagan worship. Okay, um, pagan Rome denied God. And as we know from the persecution of the early church, that when the church was born, when, when uh, God gave birth to the church on the day of Pentecost, we know that they immediately entered into a world of persecution. Okay, um, So we know from the persecution of the early church, they bitterly opposed any form of Christian religion. Okay, You've heard of Fox's Book of Martyrs. Uh, many of those stories are about the actual martyrs who died during this time. But despite the severe persecution, the gospel of Jesus Christ was still being proclaimed and the church was still growing. So much so that pagan Rome could not stand any longer. Okay? It had a beginning and an ending date. Okay? Pagan Rome's inability to destroy Christianity is clearly seen by what took place next. Okay, so if pagan Rome could not destroy it, basically, I guess you could say they decided to join it. Now, can anyone tell me what the great religious and governmental system arose up after pagan Rome? Which leads us to our second figure, the beast, we believe, is reference to papalism. Okay, papalism. And the eventual rise of the Roman Catholic Church. Okay? Uh, The difference between paganism and papalism is paganism was anti-God, but papalism wasn't. Okay? Under the reign of Constantine, Christianity became the state religion and came into full power during the 5th century. Okay? Okay? Its reign was from around the 5th century to the 15th or 16th century. And this also became known as the time of the Dark Ages. You've heard that term, the Dark Ages. That is during this time. Okay. Um, So the beast was the creation of uh, the papalism um, and the Roman Catholic Church, where the Pope became God or Jesus here on earth, And the same anti-Christian spirit took hold of the world through papalism. Um, Some people who grew up in uh, Catholicism may find this hard to believe, but when you study what the Roman Catholic Church did and started and began, it's, it's pretty horrendous. Eventually, anyone and everyone who opposed the Roman Catholic Church, who would not join the Roman Catholic Church, was persecuted. And history tells us that the Roman Catholic Church, or papalism, killed anywhere from 55 to 60 million people. That very much could be considered a beast. You could see the symbolism here. Um, Again, someday we may study... Catholicism, but it was a form of religion. But, you know, we've talked about this before. They do not believe. um, They believe that you need to go to a priest. You need to go to one man, and he will, you know, offer your confession for you. That is, is is that anywhere in the Word of God? 
know. Okay, so that is nowhere in the Word of God, and, and really, the, the the whole system of Catholicism is really uh, anti what we believe. Okay, all right. So that's all. I'll go into that. And the false prophet. Anybody want to take a stab on what you think that might be? You be quiet. You know these. That's no fair. Anybody else? You didn't hear him say that. That's a tough one. All right. Protestantism. Protestantism. Okay. Um, It was during the 15th and 16th century that Martin Luther separated from the Roman Catholic Church. We talked about this before. Okay. Um, And people began protesting against the Roman Catholic Church. That's why it's called Protestantism. All right. And a whole new branch of religion began. Now, some of you are thinking, Pastor Brock, I thought Protestantism was a good thing. Uh, just follow me here. Yes, the initial denial of, the, uh, of, of papalism and the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church, the initial denial of all that and the reign of the Roman Catholic Church over the lives of millions of people was a good thing. Okay? Um, but think of it like this. While impossible to come up with a definite number, when Martin Luther broke away and started um, Protestantism, since that time, how many different churches and how many different denominations do you think have risen up from that? And take a guess. Hundreds? Thousands? Um, I did a little bit of research. It's really it's impossible to, to put a definite number on, but there are people uh, who believe that it could be twenty to thirty thousand forms of Protestantism. Now, some of you are shaking your head. Tell me what what's the problem with that? Why is that a problem? Good, Richard. You were shaking your head back there. What bothered you about that? Yeah, I think we play them in softball orchard or something. Yeah. Yeah, so from the moment that uh, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Church, Protestant churches began to pop up everywhere. Um, no. Um, do you think Jesus intended there to be so many churches? No. Um, how many churches do you think he wanted? One church. Um, the reason many feel the false prophet is reference to Protestantism is because there are so many different doctrines within Protestantism. There are so many different teachings. There are so many different uh, philosophies so many different opinions, that um, within Protestantism, there are false doctrines. That's the reason it's called false prophet. Okay? Um, now, some, um, some of these teachings can be damning, can keep people even from eternal life in heaven. Okay? 
um, while others um, could send believers on a path to destruction. There are, I believe, many churches within Protestantism that are teaching the truth. And I guess you would have to say the Church of God, Anderson, Indiana, would be one of them. Uh, I know of other churches, and you know we're not going to get into that. There are many churches. Hey, I accepted Christ when I was five in a Church of God. Went to a good old-fashioned Holiness Methodist church for about seven, eight years of my life. Man, they, 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 were, they were on fire. Then I went to another good old-fashioned Nazarene church that preached holiness and salvation. So there, I mean, and there's more. Um, they're out there. Um, but just, just kind of, um, I have some examples of what I'm talking about here. Um, can anybody, before I share my examples, can anybody think of examples, you don't have to give names, but examples of where you think that teaching is false? Um, anybody have a, a thought? Yeah, that's 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 true. You begin to well see, and that that's the dan- that was the danger of Catholicism. It still is when you line yourself up with man instead of what the Word of God and the Bible says. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you're right there. You need somebody. That's okay. I need a babysitter. Okay. Someone else had a thought? Brenda? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, that was one of my examples, eternal security, Calvinism. Um, keep in mind when Martin Luther began and he he separated John Calvin was right behind him, and John Calvin then really instituted Calvinism, which is um, the origins of eternal security. And that right there, if you take that teaching to where it potentially leads, could we believe, not just by our opinion, but by the word of God, we believe that eventually could lead a believer to hell. Tell me if that's not a false teaching, a false prophet there. Someone else? So before you have an opportunity, he'll take you out? Wow. Well, there's also a reason why um, our salvation is referred to as an adoption. So, yeah.
Yeah. Yeah, and that was going to be the second example I have as church membership. Um, and I know some of us came from churches that had membership. Now, let me just say this. I, you know, um, I, you know, I believe that if you go to a church that has membership, that doesn't mean they're a false prophet. Uh, I know there are churches, there are Nazarene churches that have membership, but they just carry that loosely. You know, they don't carry a lot of weight in that. There's not a lot of stock in that, but there are churches that do who feel that if you are not on their role, are not on their roster, uh, have not signed their papers, they do not believe that you're a part of the true church. And that you actually, some extreme goes, some extremes is that you could even, you know, not, not make it to heaven because of that. I was talking to someone the other day, and they said that they were visiting some churches in the area, and, and um, I wasn't putting pressure on them because they know where we live. Um, but... Um, they said they they were uh, visiting this one church that they really liked the preaching, um, but they went back on Sunday night, and the pastor was talking about membership. And they said, um, the pastor said, um, you know, we keep track, I believe, of attendance, and we also keep track of your financial accountability. And if we feel, apart from illness or sickness or something like that, but if we feel like there's not a consistency, we will remove you from the membership of this church. <laughs> That's a form of false prophet. Yeah. Wow. 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 Yeah. 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 Now, I will say this because you mentioned it. You know, we, you know, because we feel like we have to be legally protected, we take steps to make sure that we're safe with our children as well, okay? But to, 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 to make a statement that you're not a part, you're not saved, you're not a part of the true church because you don't do this, you don't do that, Um Another situation, Stephanie was there when this happened. Well, I'll just say it. I went to a release time meeting in town. Release time um, is is a Christian program at our schools, and a lot of area churches, um, they contribute to that. They financially contribute. Uh, But we were having a meeting about what exactly should be taught and should not be taught to the kids. And there was some disagreement while, you know, we and I do not believe that, you know, we should set up a, a, an atmosphere to where it's a Billy Graham evangelistic, you know, at the end of class, you know, just sing just as I am and the kids have to come. I, I don't, you know, want to do that. But at the same time, I feel that if a child of their own free will wants to accept Jesus Christ, then <laughs> we've got to do it. You know, I mean, that's what we're there for. And then there were churches who said, absolutely not. And um, before I knew it, we began, and this is a Protestant church here in town. And before I knew it, we were talking about the definition of salvation and, and of grace. And, um, and I could tell, and, and, and I believe this denomination believed that because Jesus Christ died for all, everyone in the end will ultimately be saved. That's, that's what they believe. And you know what I'm talking about, honey. Okay. Um, and so I'm thinking, whoa. 
And I said, okay, well, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, that it is a gift of God. And I said, so, you know, it just says here that by faith we can accept Jesus Christ and accept the grace of Jesus Christ. So, But we have the choice on whether or not we do that, accept that. And it's by our faith, and this, this minister said, no, it's not our faith, it's God's faith. That's right. And so they were saying that it's not our faith that we put in God, but it's the faith that God puts in us. And uh, so that's the point I'm trying to make here is there's so many false doctrines, so many false teachings within Protestantism. Look what's, look what's happening with the homosexual topic today in our churches. Okay? Yes. So... I say all that to say, here we are, false prophet, Protestantism. There's a lot of false teachings within Protestantism. Uh, So through the guise of Protestantism, many false and damning practices have taken place. Protestantism has created much confusion, many sects and divisions within the body of Christ. That's why D.S. Warner really began the Church of God to begin with. Back in the late 1800s, these sects and creeds and rituals and memberships and you do this and you do that was separating people, was keeping people from really entering the church. And he realized the word of God says, if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're in the church. Big C, praise the Lord. And no one has the right to say you have to do this, you have to do that. And so that's why technically the Church of God Anderson, we do not have membership. You know, it's just, you just come as you are. I get a kick every time, um, you know, we get some new people and they want to start coming. They say, you know, should I have my paper sent to you or the church? I said, I don't care what you do with your papers. <laughs> you know, you can keep them, frame them if you want. I said, but you're a part of the family of God, you know. Ah, good. God adds to the church those who are being saved, Okay. Yeah, yeah. And see, that's all man-made system there they set up. Okay, so we say all that to say this. Okay, what is um, uh, the true meaning of Armageddon? Um, Arma- Let me just go back here with that. Um, this is the backdrop of leading up to uh, Revelation 16.16, 16, okay? Um, let me just state simply what that verse means. Verse 16 and they gathered them together. Remember, this is symbols now. We're talking about symbols. We just talked about what the dragon and the beast and the pro- false prophet means, okay? Um, without blowing minds here and getting so deep that we're just lost, um, let's just simply state what we believe verse 16 is. Verse 16 and the reference to Armageddon, we're going to be wrapping this up quickly, um, and the reference to Armageddon, Megiddo, is symbolic of the Old Testament Megiddo, Okay? Literal battles in the Old Testament uh, 
are types of spiritual battles in the New Testament, and here's how I would define it. So Armageddon is not going to be a battle fought in the literal world. Okay, we'll just start with that right there. It's not going to be a literal battle fought in the literal world. It's not going to be a battle that you fight with bullets and guns, rockets and nuclear weapons and jet fighters and ships and all that, okay? Um, Armageddon is a reference to the spiritual battle that the true church has had to wage against the various forces of Satan. Those forces have come into and come in the form of paganism, papalism, Protestantism. Paganism, papalism, and Protestantism. So those of you who have some Church of God history, you remember remember that that you know some of you know what I'm talking about. Okay? All right. But it is not an actual physical battle. So I guess what I could have done tonight, after we were done with prayer, I just could have gone right to that slide and said, there you go, let's pray and go home. But you need a little bit more information as to why we feel the way that we do. Okay? Remember, Revelation is a book of symbols. I'll get out of the way if you're trying to write. It's a book of symbols. And uh, it's not literal. Not literal. There are people who believe that there will be a literal dragon he will come up out of the sea. There will be a literal beast. Um, that's not what Jesus was trying to explain here. Okay? Let me wrap this up. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I would maybe just my my twist with that would be until Jesus Christ comes back, the battle will never end. We're we're in a form of the battle of Armageddon right now, folks. We're in that spiritual battle. That's right. That's right. There you go. Ephesians 6, you're right. Um, and just a little bit more proof that's not a physical battle. Look at the, I want us to look at some verses and then we'll close, okay? Um, look at some verses here. These are the verses. Um, these are verses proving that our battles are not in the physical, okay? So uh, let's, let's all look at these real quick, okay? There's just a couple. Matthew 5, isn't that neat? I just turned to it. Wow, that's crazy. I must be living right. Uh, Matthew 5:44. Let's look at that. Mm-mm-mm. Okay. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you, do good things to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Christians should not kill nor avenge themselves with those who do them wrong. Instead, we are to do the opposite. Well, the, the, the battle of Armageddon is just teaching you the complete opposite of that. Okay? Let's go to Luke 3.14. Oh, 8.07. I've got to get going here. Luke 3.14. Is that right? 
All right, Luke 3.14. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not imitate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. So the battles of the church are spiritual in nature. And I think what uh, Claire just referred to, Ephesians 6.12. Ephesians 6.12. I'm just going to read these. If you get there, great. If not, just hang on. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Boy, do we need to say anything more. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. 2 Corinthians 10.4. 2 Corinthians 10.4. For the weapons of our warfare are guns and knives. No, but the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And then Ephesians 4, 31-32. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So God's way is be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. So believers have never had to resort to carnal, fleshly warfare in order to fight the devil. So in this great battle, there are two armies. One side are the saints of the Most High, commanded by Jesus Christ himself. And the other side is Satan through the guise of past and current false religions. Remember, all that Satan wants to do is just to keep somebody from confessing their sins to Jesus. That's it. And if he can do that in any way, in any form, in any false teaching, he will do it. He has changed his methods down through history, but his end game and end goal is still the same. So there is the topic of Armageddon as the Church of God views it. Okay, uh, Some more topics we're going to try and tackle. Uh, I actually talked about this in our Kingdom uh, series on Sunday mornings, but we may hit uh, uh, what they believe is once Jesus comes back in the Battle of Armageddon, then that will usher in a thousand-year millennial reign. You've heard me talk about this, but we'll hit that next week. Uh, the 144,000, who is that about? What is that about? Uh, the number 666, we'll hit that. And the four horsemen of the apocalypse is where we'll head after that. Okay, um, we're going to end in prayer, and then I'm going to quickly go out and shut this thing off, okay? All right. Um, get someone to volunteer to close this in prayer. Anyone? Lloyd, would you close this in prayer, please?
Yes. 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 